0: Welcome to Farm Talk Episode 7. Welcome to uh, the new year. Um, This is our first podcast recording of the new year. Um, Yeah, we're excited to be here this week. Um, Yeah, we've got Jack and we've got one of Jack's uh, old friends, um, one of his farm friends on this week. Um, His name is Spencer Sanderson. Uh, He is from Alabama as well, just like Jack Um, and his got farming in his blood. Um, He's got a passion for it, just like Jack and I do. Um, And he's just kind of kind of share with us a little bit about kind of his life growing up on the farm, kind of what that looked like, and just kind of uh, how he sees agriculture as a young person in agriculture, but also kind of talk about the land loss that them and their family are experiencing around them, um, and the rapid development of farmland into either neighborhoods or industrial land. Um, and so, yeah, Jack, uh, you got anything else for us?
1: No, no, I'm happy to have the farm boy Spence on. It, if you follow him on Instagram, you see that he posts a lot of farm stuff um, on his story and stuff. And so, I'm excited to hear what he has to say.
2: YouTube's a big thing too. I, I need to get that back up. But I also do, I do some blogging on that as well. That I got a GoPro for finally. I need to get that started back up. But my mission. My mission for that, I'm big on education about agriculture because I go to school with too many kids that like to crap on farmers and tell us that we're destroying the planet and that our jobs are really easy. So my big thing is that I I strive to educate people on every single aspect. And I don't think that making just a, a couple minute videos on a YouTube channel, that doesn't do much. I got to go in most of my videos are at least 15 minutes long. I explain everything in detail. I don't do a whole lot of editing. You know, sometimes people say it gets a little slow, but I want to show the aspects that people don't know much about. Cause a lot of people, when they think of farming, you know, there's planning, combining, a lot of people understand that, but then the cleaning up the grain bins, servicing irrigation, pivots, all that is a lot of the stuff, the lesser known thing. So I want to just, I want to show all of it. You know, I don't pick and choose what I put on my channel. If it's a day I feel like filming, I'm going to film. And no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to show it. So every, every day is different around the farm. And that's what I really want to get across is it's not just, it's not a typical nine to five where you go do your thing and head out. It's a lot of very long and strenuous work days.
1: I think that's super important because like I I see a lot of times on Instagram where farmers will post stuff and like they're always post the good, which To a point, that's good because it's showing, you know, the positives to the industry. But at the same time, like they aren't showing the days where you have to clean out the grain bins when it's 100 degrees outside. Yeah. Do
0: you have to wear? uh, talk a little bit about cleaning out grain bins, uh, Spencer? Because I've I've spent many, many hours cleaning out grain bins and it is not a glamorous task whatsoever. Um, Kind of talk a little bit about that. You know, what does that look like? So cleaning out a grain bin for people who don't know.
2: The, uh, the system we're working with, we have a, a 150,000 bushel bin. We have four 60,000 bushel bins and a 20,000 bushel bin that we refer to as our wet bin. So if we're cutting corn, wheat, or beans and the moisture's a little high, we'll dump it in that 20,000 bushel bin and circulate it through the dryer. But how the structure of a grain bin works, on the circular floor, you have a row, a row of doors on the floor that are in a straight line that head toward the access door on the grain bin. And when the bin is full to capacity, oftentimes you only open that center door, let it flow out, and as it gets lower, you open the whole line of doors and once you do that, there will be an opening where you can open the access door and walk into the bin and that's when you turn on what's called a sweep auger and it's an auger it from the top it looks it works a lot like a center pivot irrigation system. It turns on an axis in the middle of a bin, and it it has a wheel on the other end. And it makes its way entirely around the grain bin, funneling all, whether it's corn, wheat, soybeans, it funnels it all to the center in a door. And the, where the work begins is once the sweep auger makes a full rotation, you disengage it because you never, ever want to get in a grain bin with an active sweep auger running because there have been many farmers that lose limbs, lose their lives. It's the That's the thing a lot of people don't know about and don't understand how dangerous it is is those sweep augers, they don't care if they got a leg in them. Their job is to move grain, and if something gets caught in there, they're gonna keep moving grain. So we turn the sweep augers off, and we climb in there, and we take brooms and shovels. First, we pull everything two to three feet away from the walls, because that's often the biggest area that the sweep auger brushes over, because you have that wheel on the outside that won't scoop any grain. So we pull it all away from the walls, we get out of the grain bin, and we let the sweep auger go around another time. Then we hop back in with shovels and brooms. We push everything to the center as best we can. Oftentimes, we'll push it into a line and then shovel it all into the center. Once that's done, we get out of the grain bin, we turn on the sweep auger again, and after that, we disengage the sweep auger, and we just turn on the floor auger, which is under the bin, and we sweep everything into the center hole. And then after that, I described it a lot in a very simple way. This process takes hours and sometimes days. And when we're in the grain bin, we always wear face protection, whether it's we used to wear N95 masks when we went in there, and now we have these hoods that are put on. It's a a piece of clear plastic that's in front of you, and there's a seal that goes under your chin all the way to the top of your head, and those hoods have fans in the top of them, that circulate oh, like air. Avatar.
0: Yes, they, they, they,
2: they, <laughs> like like you're on like you're on Pandora. Yes, sir. There's a there's fans in the top that blow air on your face uh, to make sure make sure you stay stay cool and to circulate in case any dust gets up in there. But we do it in a very very safe way. We do not get in the way of the sweep auger, and we always wear face protection in there. And that's that's the that's the part I really want to stress is that. We do it in a safe way. So, there are some people out there that, you know, acknowledge that grain bin sweeping is dangerous. They think a lot of people shouldn't do it. It's a necessary job, but it matters by doing it in a safe way. So, I, I want to just emphasize that we take all the necessary precautions. We always have somebody standing outside of the bin as well in case anything happens on the inside. A lot of times we'll have someone standing outside the bin and someone standing at the cutoff switch. So, it's just a simple relay that takes a second. Throw up your hand, throw up your hand, hit the button. So that's what's involved with cleaning out a a grain bin. And last summer I did four of those in the span of about two weeks. So that that's what took most of my time. But after harvest, once you got all the or once you have everything sold, that's what you gotta do. Hop in there and then once the floor's clean you can spray for bugs, make sure no weevils get in. So that's that's the process of cleaning out a bin. Like I said, I described it in a really kind of a a really broken down and simple way but it's a it's a process that takes quite a long time
0: Mm. you ever cleaned out a grain bin jack
1: (laughs) i've cleaned i helped him for probably two hours one day and that's that's my experience in a grain bin it was hot (laughs)
2: Hmm. Yeah and, and that day you came out when it was starting to cool down a little bit that's th- those those grain they they get warm inside I'll tell you that cause it, just think about it you're you're in you're in a closed up metal structure out in the hot they'll get warm inside but yeah jack jack helped me for a while out there and it it does not take long to start dumping sweat so you got to be conscious of that as well
1: especially when it gets hmm. up, gets up to like 100 degrees outside <laughs> yeah so, Spencer, the one of the big things in our area is, you know, urbanization and losing a lot of land. How like how is that affecting y'all's farm and then like of course other farms in the area? So,
2: we we lease a majority of our farmland, so what happens is that if a company comes in and wants to purchase the land, it's up It's up to the landlord since we do not own the land, we're simply on a long term lease. If the landlord gets a good offer, they can sell, and if we got an irrigation pivot on the field, we take down the pivot, and if not, that field is you know the companies now. We've had Polaris that was the first major factory that was put in place in our region, and we still we still farm some fields in that area. Then the Toyota Mazda plant, which we did we did not farm the land that that plant was on. It was a a farmer that we knew, but that Toyota Mazda plant it is absolutely massive. They had to clear out a lot of land for that. And there's also an Amazon uh, packing plant that got put in, and they're all in the same area. So what used to be a two lane road where you can go dove hunting, deer hunting, and have a lot of crops growing, you now have three major factories. That have taken over and along the interstate, a lot of farmland by the interstate is being bought up as well. There's a the exit where you hop on the main interstate from our county road is already being, you know, developed with dirt pan tractors. There's construction equipment out there. So it's it's fast. And I did a research project on this for my composition two English class for Mississippi State this year. And land loss across the nation is equivalent to 175 acres an hour. So I did some calculations there. That means in the span of say, if you're in if you're in college and you have a three-hour lecture, during that time you're in that lecture hall, land equivalent to the size of an average SEC campus is gone, just like that. Within a day, 4,200 acres are lost. And it's it's only growing stronger. It's only getting bigger. That number's climbing higher, and that's why we stress the urgency of using. And this is a hot issue in the ag community. Genetically modified organisms, which you uh, oftentimes hear simplified as GMOs, we simply cannot grow organic crops with the land decreasing as it is. We have to figure out a way to make the crops produce more on less land. So the land loss issue is what is driving the push for, you know, genetically modified organisms, synthetic fertilizers, synthetic herbicides and fungicides, because and th- this this goes out to everyone, not just farmers, not just people in the ag industry. We are approaching a point to where the population is going to be so high and the land loss is going to be so significant if we don't change something and if we don't try and create the next generation of corn seed the next generation of wheat seed we're going to encounter a food shortage and it's it's going to be bad that's what i based my entire research paper on so land loss especially around here near a big city like huntsville it's a it's a very big issue for a
1: lot of our farmers is that a big problem up where you are clayton
0: uh, I'd say probably not as much. It is definitely an issue. Um, I mean, Iowa lives and breathes agriculture, but I mean, you, you look, you know, I think about my, my brother-in-law has an acreage and so he's probably about three or four miles down a uh, County dirt road, but he's right on city limits and like progress, even since he's bought it like three years ago, you know, there's already a whole new, uh, sub-development neighborhood kind of move in his direction and slowly, uh, you know, move in that direction, I was like, David, like 10 years, I think you might get to the point where uh, you've got, like, you're going to be surrounded by a neighborhood, and you're probably going to be pressured to sell some of your acreage. And so it's definitely not as big of an issue. But I mean, where we're at, if you if you drive west, you know, the city we're in is slowly moving that direction. So I wouldn't say it's like, oh, man, like they're building massive factories and stuff like that. You know, but there there's definitely an aspect of that here.
2: You have any major companies moving in in your region?
0: Nothing moving in. Uh, we have a big Target distribution center that I believe is building some more stuff, but that's on land that they in the city that they've already purchased. And then John Deere's factories are here, but they also have a ton of extra land that I think they are they bought ahead of time to build on in the future. But nope, nothing crazy. I'd say okay. I I don't say we're isolated, but. You know, it's it's probably more of a creep here than it is like a pressing, pressing issue. But in the next 10 years, I'm I'm betting there's probably going to be some major investment. I mean, Des Moines, our state capital, I know is doing pretty well. It wouldn't surprise me if there's some big companies that move that direction in the future. But I wouldn't say, I'd say it's a little more, we're a little more isolated
1: here. Yeah.
2: Okay. And what I, we have, it's funny you mentioned the Target Distribution Center. We have one right next to one of the gas stations on a, a road that runs by a couple of our interstate fields there's one there that was one of the first big centers there but yeah just it's it's for us it's not a creep it's a tidal wave
1: yeah it's crazy every time we come back from mississippi state we'll come back i don't know like every four or five weeks and uh every time we see another field that's getting destroyed they take yeah, like oh i wonder what's going help, there it takes no time mm. yep it's sad so like um
0: how does that uh, i mean how does that like affect your farming operation you know what does that look like for you guys as a family farm and you know as people who used to lease that land like what does that look like for you guys like how is that affecting you well, see, as you know, a family less uh, land
2: means less product and which means less income so if we lose too much land it's not going to be feasible for us to continue farming in this region i i hope and we're not going to have a severe issue for a decent bit of time, but uh, I hope that, you know, we're able to maintain a lot of our land. A couple of our landlords, they're adamant on, you know, not selling to companies and they have promised us that they will keep their land for farming purposes and they're not going to accept offers from any companies, but the way it affects us is just, uh, think about it. If you're, if you're growing something and selling it, and with the money that you're making right now, you're able to keep your business afloat, and somebody comes in and takes away even a quarter of the land that you're using to grow, you're not going to make as much money because you won't have as much to sell. So land loss attacks profits, and that decreased revenue is what's going to hurt us in the long run if land around us and land that we farm keeps getting snatched up.
1: Well, and one of the big things is so, like, they, they had a farm in Georgia a couple of years ago that they had, and then they're also kind of going down south of the river. And so, like, they're it's forcing a lot of farms, and Spencer's family's farm included, to go out past, you know, where the neighborhoods and the businesses are encroaching. And so it's making them to where they might have to put the sprayer on a low boy and drive it, you know, 40 miles south because they have a 600-acre field down there that, you know, all this all this land loss is forcing them to do. And so instead of them being able to drive the sprayer down the road to 300 acres, it's now a distribution plant. And so now they're going to have to drive it, you know, a little ways longer.
2: I guess, Jack, as you saw one time, sometimes we got to put a combine on the internet.
1: I mean, they'll do whatever it takes to farm some more acres. (laughs) Mm. And so uh, that's interesting.
0: Um, I'm sure some of the people who have listened to this podcast, um, you know our huge listener base <laughs> uh probably would you know hear you know you talking about you know corn and you know not being able to produce enough not being able to sell enough you know to you know keep your business afloat and they'll point to kind of an overproduction quote-unquote mindset that you know the farm economy has um i don't know how much you know about this but um that whole idea of, Oh, we're overproducing ground. Oh, we're producing corn or soy that we don't actually need, you know, or we're using all this stuff that we grow to put in other products. Like, you know, can you speak to that kind of agriculture economy a little bit of like, why, why do farms produce so much, you know, quote unquote, like why, why is there a goal to always be producing more and to meet, you know, cause some people think that farmers produce too much corn or too much wheat or too much soy well um, some that's people not actually be, the case
2: <laughs> some people would be shocked at how empty the store shelves would be if we quit producing at our numbers and you get like i touched on with land loss the other or a few minutes ago another thing that's coupling with land loss to be a problem is the increasing population so the reason that our numbers have not decreased is because the population keeps growing so as of right now that de- we that demand has not fallen there are more mouths to feed every single day and what's sad is that there are less farms to feed because once these companies come in and buy out that's another farm lost that is a that is a producing farm a farm that is making food and feeding all these mouths gone so we have to i don't want to say pick up the slack because that implies the other farms are given up but we have to keep producing to make sure that the loss of these other farms will not result in a shortage. So I guess if if people complain that we farm too much <clears> land and we don't, we don't need all this stuff. Well, you know, if we, we can stop, that's all right. But you know, don't don't start complaining when there's no food on the shelves and prices for, you know, simple things like bread skyrocket because we're not able to meet demand.
1: Well, and one of the things yeah. that a lot of these guys probably don't realize is, you know, 10 years ago, you might have harvested a crop that was 60 bushels less just cuz you don't have the products you do now but you're also harvesting it with a combine that's probably half the price and so now you've got let's say two to three combines they all take diesel they take you know maintenance and so all that money there's a lot of money that's involved with these new machines and so you you've got to produce more and make more just cuz the prices of machines are way more than they were 5 to 10 years ago
2: yeah and that goes mm-hmm. into if you want to talk about the financial part of it, which I'm not like I said I don't I don't know everything about the financial aspects of the agriculture operation, but I've had, you know, a couple of people ask me before like, "Hey, you know, how how are y'all doing in in terms of this inflation because inflation's up to like 7-8%." Well, it's not 7 to 8% for us. Diesel jumps as high as it does, fertilizer prices go as high as they do equipment prices skyrocketing it results in a lot more than eight percent you know in some cases certain inputs and certain costs have quadrupled to what they were a couple of years ago so inflation might be eight percent but if you have a if you have dozens of different goods that are inflating it's all gonna compound so our like a, like Jack touched on equipment prices namely and I'm sure, Clayton have you have you been looking at the market for these new John Deere tractors even used ones
0: oh yeah oh no I mean I I uh, I don't I'm not the most in tune with equipment pricing but I I know it's expensive and I know you know I if you follow real machinery Pete on uh Instagram he's always posting record high sales for different tractors that are 20 30 years old and so oh yeah no it's crazy
1: and we had rigs on a and- couple weeks ago and uh and he works at a John Deere dealer in the Delta, which is, you know, a huge agriculture industry out there. And it's insane. I mean, these guys will order stuff and they won't even come in for a year, year and a half, but the machine will be 800,000 or 800, you know, thousand to a million dollars, which is unbelievable. Mm-hmm.
0: There's, there's oh, yeah. a guy
2: on, on Twitter. His name is, his handle is John Deere salesman and reading his tweets, it's, you get, you get kind of a a neat inside view of what the manufacturing side of agriculture is. As somebody who looks into the manufacturing of ag equipment and selling of it, even like simple, I won't say simple because farm equipment is very complicated, but certain planter parts, like if you need one small part out of an entire planter, you need one small part, and you may be put on a months-long waiting list for that because there are shortages at shortages and setbacks at every single aspect of the supply line right now
1: i remember during planting mm-hmm. we had one issue on the planter and i was out there taking pictures and riding the sprayer and we had to stop and it was one small piece that i mean i think it was like a 80 dollar to 100 dollar part but nobody had it we had to go to like three or four different stores just to find it and then get back there and install it and by that point it was almost dark and so then he had to run you know all night to catch up and it was just this one eighty dollar part that was holding up the whole operation.
2: It was one of them little mm. motors, yep. wasn't it? I yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. One 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 of those small motors on the road units.
1: Yeah, and one of the—I mean—you would never think that an eighty dollar part would hold up the whole operation, but yeah. Oh no, it will. Every yeah. piece is important. <laughs> yep, you're mm. right. So Spencer, I want to—I want to hear your thoughts on so like one of the reasons why we did this and why we have our Instagrams and the social media aspect is there's a huge disconnect in agriculture. And so you mentioned earlier that you saw this in school, but how, how do you think we, as you know, you as a farmer and then, you know, just the whole industry, how do you think that can be fixed?
2: Really honestly doing what we're doing right now. And what I've found is that their needs there's a need for agriculture media that is, is simplified because your, your, average, your average person who does not work in the ag industry, they're not gonna, a, a farm video that goes into the deep, complicated science aspect will not appeal to them. What we have to do is we have to simplify it and break it down from, I guess, what well, I would say, a, a fundamental standpoint. Start with the key aspects of agriculture, and I'll tell you what get people caring about agriculture is when you tell them how it directly affects their life. My dad mm. came and spoke in my AP environmental science class my senior year of high school, and I, I was speaking with a lot of people in that class. They didn't care much about agriculture or farming, but he had a slide in the presentation that talked about you know what, what every crop goes into, the food products that they make, and how the world would be affected if these certain crops were not grown. So the biggest way that you can help bring the importance of ag to the consumer is to start off by telling them, hey, here's how agriculture affects you. Like here Mm -hmm. is how this practice that you may not care about or you may think is not big of a deal. This is how it is an integral part of your life. So starting at that and then teaching people about the key components of ag, even just as basic as you plant, you apply fertilizer, you harvest, you sell, you cultivate or plow, rinse and repeat. Start mm. breaking it down from a simple level like that will perhaps get them interested. But if you if you want one thing, my biggest thing is tell them how it affects them and how their lives will be different if agriculture begins to fail.
0: Mm. Oh man, that is so true. Can you go into like just a couple, like, I mean... Just on the top of your head, like what can you think of if we stopped doing, if we stopped producing one thing, you know what effects would that have for the consumer? Like, do you well, have any we examples? Stop, stop
2: producing wheat. Uh, Say chips, bread, tortillas, and that—that's—that's that's like literally off the top of my head. Basically, <laughs> if you stop producing corn, wheat, and soybeans, it would be an absolute apocalypse on the food supply and
1: that's not even talking about Mm -hmm. cotton and i mean i mean if you wear blue jeans or you know use cotton sheets or whatever i mean that comes straight from a family farm but i think that's a i think that's kind of why we started this podcast and also you know why we've started our social medias to bring it down. Cause I didn't grow up on a farm. And so a lot of the stuff that I've learned out there through Spencer and the guys at the farm they're it, they've lived on a farm their whole life. And so some of that stuff, it's just, you know, Oh yeah, that's what we do. But a lot of the stuff that I've learned, it's like, hold up. That's pretty cool. Like I, I would have never thought how engineering minded those farmers are. And so I'm trying, like, I think that's our goal with this is to bring it down to the consumer level where it's easier to understand. Cause they haven't been farming their whole life, and so they don't—they aren't going to know some of that stuff right off the top of their head like farmers would. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: and the so a challenge that I've given to some people that you know have, I will say, bad badmouthed me about farming. I said, "Well, go home, go in your refrigerator, in your pantry, and I want you to read the ingredients list and all the stuff you have in there." And I know I mentioned a lot of—I mentioned corn, wheat, and soybeans. Think about this: farmers that grow potatoes, sugar beets, peanuts. Rice, canola, sunflowers, that, those are all ag mm-hmm. products too. Go in your pantry and look at the nutrition facts and ingredients list on every single thing you have in there and just see how many agriculture products are in there. Mm-hmm. And Like I said, corn, wheat, and soybeans just barely scratches the surface. Even stopping production of a single crop you may still be able to make substitutes or alternates, but they may not have the same nutritional value, they may not taste as good, and they may be a lot more expensive. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: I I will say if if we stopped production of even a singular crop, there would be a negative supply shock for the market of any good.
1: I, I think we yeah. learned that a lot I, during COVID. I mean, when everything shut down too. Like you can't shut you can't oh, yeah. shut down a farm. Like You gotta spray, you gotta clean out grain bins. I mean, it's a nonstop job. It's a it's
2: an uh, I guess to use the government lingo, it's an essential farmers are essential workers.
0: Absolutely. you know, like you you stop any one of those things, any of that production, and First of all, widespread famine, but also, you know, like even like the overproduction quote unquote mindset, like if you slow down that type of production, everything gets more expensive. There's less food, you know, it's like the convenience of being like, there's a reason that, you know, grocery stores are often called convenience stores because they're convenient to go to because they always have what you need. You know, it's, it's really frustrating when you go to the store and they don't have what you need. And if we didn't produce the amount of crops we did now, then society would collapse because there just would not like people could not function if they didn't have all these things readily available. No, there they, would have to wouldn't. be there would have to be a cultural shift of hundreds of millions of people saying, you know what, I'm only gonna eat what I actually need and I'm gonna, you know, grow my own food. And I'm going to live without the the comfortable things in my life. Like and like society's just not going to do it. Like the way yeah. farming is now, you know, obviously there's going to be change, but like there's always going to be a need for large scale production because of a large scale population that wants to have whatever they need. You know, you think about all those big uh, factories and distribution facilities that have gone up, you know, where you're at, Spencer, like. That is to fill the need of being able to have whatever we want whenever we want it. And unless society is willing to say, hey, we're we are we're gonna stop desiring whatever we want when we want it, then agriculture has to be able to function at a large scale, like row crop farming, you know, like that, like that and has were, to happen.
2: There were several instances when people talked about this. What's funny is that we during AP environmental science class, you know, we were still Doing the COVID lunches where you ate in your room, we happened to be eating lunch in that class. And, you know, people would, you know, talk to me and criticize farmers. I'm like, so, on your plate there, I see you have a thing of rice. I was like, do you think that rice just jumped onto your plate? No, it was planted and harvested by someone. And I, I'm using rice and bread, you know, mainly as examples because that's, one, that's one of the first things that jumps to my mind, and number two, that's one of the most highly consumed things. You go out and eat fast food. You get a bread bun or a bread tortilla, there's wheat in it. People that have celiac disease and have to be gluten-free, they use corn substitutes like corn chips, corn tortillas. So Mm -hmm. if you you stop, somebody may just say, well, you know, that corn field out there, you know, I feel like those farmers are hurting the place. They don't need to farm that much corn. Well, enjoy the shortage that is to follow.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, well, I want to go back to one of the things that you said, Clayton, earlier talking about, you know, if you take one man out, it'll all kind of fall apart. And I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is that during planting, when, you know, you apply, they might be applying nitrogen in the planter as well as on wheat around that same time. And so there was a time last year when they were applying nitrogen two different ways to two different crops, and they were going through the nitrogen. And if, you know, if that truck driver wasn't bringing them nitrogen every every day or even two or three times a day, that'd shut the whole operation down. Operation down.
2: Yep, you'd have have to park the planter, park the sprayer, get someone to drive you back to the farm, or just take your equipment back to the farm, fill up there, drive back out. Time is one of the most valuable resources we have. And even during harvest, if there's a harvester down, it stalls. We have a grain cart messing up, it stalls. Planter with a computer issue, it stalls. Tractor with a burnt out clutch, it stalls. Time is one of the best resources we have
1: it's so time is so important that some farms have even got another combine that's just for parts and so you know you might have three combines running but you know your John Deere dealer might not even have the parts so you, they just have another combine there so they can get parts off of it
2: well yeah and that's what you know that's why we keep those plows and cultivators and rippers out in the back pasture cuz it's it's you can go back there and get a part rather than have to wait and oftentimes we don't chuck the equipment back there because it's broken. It's there to be used for parts. You go back there and look. Jack, I know you, there's, there's those four or five red cultivators that are on the left side of the pasture. Go look at how many shanks are missing from them. We, we are thankfully able to get parts and get necessary pieces from other, other equipment.
1: <laughs> Clayton, do you have any other questions that you want to ask?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't
1: think so. I said, yeah, and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I remember so. y'all
2: wanted to talk some about the family yeah. part, right? Like how different it is being a yeah, that, family. Yeah,
1: that's one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about. So, like, in, the construction industry is similar, but there's not other industries that you work with your family. Like, you, I mean, that solely you work with your family. And so how how is it working on a farm with, I mean, your, your family is basically your coworkers and boss, but also, I mean, that could be your grandpa, your dad, et cetera. So how's that?
2: Well, it's it has its moments where it's fantastic, and it has its moments where you know it's it gets things get heated. But the biggest biggest thing is a lot of times, especially if it's been a long day at the farm, I'll come home and I'll start talking about stuff, and Dad's like, "Hey, we both had a long day. It's not talk about work." You know, there's there's a separation between home and work life when you're with your family. But I think what's nice. What's nice about working with family, and this may or may not be true for some people, but if there's a huge issue on an operation and if people are butting heads, you you really – it's hard to stay angry at family because you're around them all the time. You know you are related to them. They are more than just workers, and everybody on our farm is more than just workers. We're all friends. With family, there's a bond there that's greater than your typical – employee bond so it's 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 hard to stay it's hard to stay mad at them sometimes we 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 will get mad but it never it never stays that way and i guess it's just a desire that since we're all a family we all have a part to play in helping each other and building each other up and making sure that everybody is doing their same part there's a i feel like when you have a family operation there's a lot more accountability because nobody wants to look bad in front of their family but Mm -hmm. Beyond that, you have you have a connection with them that's greater than just your regular work relationship, so I feel like in a family operation, you know, you're more likely to be more careful with decisions, tell people about more, have, you know, have conversations about a lot more. I think I working with family is more of a blessing than it would be, I don't want to say a curse, but it the good outweighs the bad. You're gonna have your setbacks, you're gonna have your little spats. You know, when when your dad is your boss, sometimes you may be a little more on edge than usual or a little more stressed out, but I'm thankful mm-hmm. to have a family that has taught me the value of hard work. And that, that, that that's another thing is that if you're bringing someone into the in- industry, like me as a fifth generation farmer, I'm more – I'm probably more likely to get a better learning experience from a parent who has that job than I would be from someone else because I already have a connection to the person who's teaching me. Mm. And dad is the big reason that I love agriculture. It's not that he forced me into it. It's not that I was forced to like farming. He showed me agriculture, and he taught me a strong work ethic. And showed me how to do things around there, and that passion came naturally, because mm-hmm. I just—I maybe it's genetic. I don't know. I—I I have a deep, deep, deep passion for every square inch of dirt and gravel that's out there. Hmm.
0: So what does that what does that look like career wise for you? Does that mean uh, well, going back to the farm?
2: Well, see, career wise, I'm not. I have not. You know made a concrete decision on that yet i would I would like i think it would be beneficial to go back to my family farm at some point my dream is to eventually have have my own operation so whether that means taking over the family farm or whether that means moving out of state and building my own operation with other friends i I don't know exactly how that's going to look like but My dream is to have my own operation. So there is a chance I may come back and take over this family farm. You know, a a lot of people have kind of criticized me, like, well, why why are you wasting time going to college? You know, you have a family, you have a job set up for you. I'm like, I'm I'm not going to be effective at running that operation if I don't go to school to learn the business aspects and learn uh, the deeper science aspects of what I'll be doing. Because I I cannot I cannot count how many times even my close friends have said that you have a job lined up where you're wasting your time going to college no um it's good to go away for a while and get an education elsewhere and learn what your true passion is than just to stay mm-hmm. with a family farm just because they're family that's not that's not a knock on family farm I I love I absolutely love this farm but I want to go. Explore other avenues like working for an agronomy company or working for a seed or fertilizer company, working for a commercial grain elevator company elsewhere. I need to explore other avenues so I'll know more precisely what my dreams and ambitions are. And right now, that's my own farm. That may change, it may not, but I'm open to that change. I don't want to put myself in a proverbial box.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
1: I think that's super important with like talking about seeing other parts of the ag industry because there are some guys who will go straight from high school to farming. And I mean, I'm not, that's no knock to going straight to a farm because I mean, you'll learn, you don't learn how to run a machine in college. But it's also important sometimes to see other parts of the ag industry, not even if you want to work there, but just to see how it works. Because I mean, when you call a seed dealer, You might not have any clue what their day to day is, but if you if you intern with them or if you intern with any other company, you'll kind of see that behind the scenes of all that, as well as you know when you're on the farm, which is super important.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's all we've got for you, Spencer. Um, I appreciate y'all
2: having me on. Any time where I'm able to talk about this, I enjoy it. Thank y'all. Thank you for letting me ramble.
0: Yeah, where where can people find you?
2: So I have an Instagram account called Henderson Farms AL. It was previously Southern Ag Media, but I wanted to focus on our, our farm specifically. So it's Henderson Farms AL on Instagram, and then on YouTube, it's Farm Boy Spence, all one word. And Spence is with a S-P-E-N-C-E, not S-P-E-N-S-E. Uh, I have about 1,300 subscribers right now, just hoping hoping to grow as much as I can. And this coming summer will probably be one of the most active times on my YouTube channel because I made the mistake last year of not filming a whole lot just because I was so busy and wanted to just, you know, enjoy my last summer before going to college. Didn't want to feel like I had to be recording every moment, but there was a lot last year that was good, that would have been good for educational value and good just to... Another thing I do the videos is for memories, you know, it's not just for... It's for other people, but I like going back and watching it as well. So this coming summer is going to be a really active time for the channel and probably some in the spring as well when I come back and work. But that Instagram and that YouTube is where you can find me.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear all right well i think that's all we've got for you uh thanks for coming on we really appreciate it if you guys want to find spencer um he just mentioned where you can find him, but we'll also leave the links to all of his stuff in the description of this episode um as always you can find jack and i's info in the description as well um but yeah uh we are excited for this new year we are excited for the projects that are in the works um we're we're gonna keep teasing it as time goes on but jack and i and now another buddy are working on some cool cool stuff um and yeah, we are really excited to hopefully, you know, kind of do what Spencer was talking about and uh, kind of bring ag to the mainstream and talk about it at a more educational level and not with a, uh, hey, like you're, wrong. you know, we want to, we want to be, we want to be good teachers and to be a good teacher, we have to be willing to, you know, be humble and to be able to have a conversation with other people. So Jack and I are working on that. We are super excited. Um, so keep following along. Um, I think that's it. So share this with your friends, leave us a review. Um, and we'll catch you in a week or two. So thanks for listening, guys.
2: Thanks for having me on.